All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Now, it's been over a year since I've preached, so I'm a little bit rusty. So we're going to ease into this morning with a game. All right. So I'm going to put an image up on the screen, and it's going to be of some actors. And you guys have to guess what sitcom these actors played in. So you don't have to raise your hand. You just shout it out. Okay. And they're all pretty easy. I think you guys will do good. The first one right here, maybe. Maybe. There we go. Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld fans in here? A few. All right. What about this one? Going back? Cheers, Cheers where everybody knows your name, right? This is my personal favorite right here. My wife got me hooked on this show. Friends. I love Ross. He's my favorite. What about this one? A little bit newer? Big Bang Theory. And then last but not least... The Office. Man, you guys over here know your TV shows, man. You guys are like on it. I never really got into this show. Now, here, here's the thing. I'm not recommending these shows. I'm not saying you go home and binge watch them on Netflix, okay? Um, but there is a common theme found in all of these and so many TV shows like it. And that is that they are based off of people living life together. Friends and coworkers living in relationship to each other. And we love it, and we consume it, and we binge watch it. I mean, if you think about it, the companies that produced these shows and the actors that played the characters literally made millions of dollars pretending to be friends. And we love it, and it draws us in. Why? Because we can relate to it, and it makes us laugh because we see situations play out, and we're like, man, I can relate to that. That happened to me, right? The drama, it draws us in, and I think it touches on something that every single person desires deep down, whether you want to admit it or not, and that is to be part of a group of people that love and accept you despite your flaws and your shortcomings. But the tragedy is so many people settle and just watch these relationships play out, these fictitious relationships play out from the comfort of their couch. Because we know, man, in real life, relationships like that are so much harder because we don't have somebody writing the script for us. And so we just kind of settle. It's a tragedy. I think another tragedy that we're swimming in is that our culture is discipling us, or if you like this term better, programming us to believe that when relationships get hard, we have an easy out that is okay. And that is to just click a button and move on. And to prove my point, back in 2009, this is going back a little bit, but in 2009, the Oxford Dictionary of the Word word of the Year was unfriend. I mean, this goes back into uh, MySpace days. Does anybody remember MySpace? Yeah? About four or five of us right there. So here's the thing. MySpace started with this thing with a top eight, and then they, they shrunk it down to the top five. And if you were on somebody's top five, man, it was awesome. It was great, but if you got bumped, if you were in second and then you got moved to like fourth or fifth or worse, if you got moved off of that list, you're like, why don't they like me anymore? Why aren't they my friend? Why do they hate me? Right? It made you so insecure. And then we see Facebook come along and they had this button, uh, you know, this unfollow button and then every social media platform since then. And really what it's doing to us is programming us that, hey, when things get hard, all you got to do is click a button and move on. I mean, whether you realize it or not, that, that's what's happening, and, and, and it's a tragedy. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about, this idea of really leaning into relationships 
when they get hard. As we close out this series that we've been in for the past four weeks called Find Your People, and we're going to look at this idea. Do we just sit back passively and watch relationships play out and say, no, I've been hurt too many times. I'm just going to kind of sit back and do my own thing. Or when relationships get hard, do we just say, hey, I'm just going to hit that proverbial unfriend button and move on and find a new group of people that affirm me and tell me everything that I want? Or do we actually lean into the difficulty and trust that God is going to use that process to deepen our relationship, not only with each other, but with God? And so we're going to do that by looking at the life of Thomas. He's one of the disciples that I think gets overlooked. And we're going to break his life into three different scenes because I think each one of these scenes that we're going to look at really shows Thomas leaning into a relationally hard situation. And so we can glean some things for ourselves as we jump into this. So the first scene we're going to look at, I'm titling, Seriously, These People? So we're going to be in two different books of the Bible today, Luke and John, so you can kind of get those ready. Uh, They're both going to be in the New Testament if you're newer to Scripture. uh, It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's towards the back of the Bible. And I do want to say, I'm going to have the verses up here on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, if you're newer to church, please stop by the connection table because we actually have Bibles that we can give you. And they're the good Bibles. They're actually hardcover and they have the big print. They're not those little cheap ones, okay? So make sure you stop by and grab one if you don't have one. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. I'll give you a second to get there. We're reading uh, verses 12 on. It says, During those days he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, that's our guy that we're going to be looking at today, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now here's the thing. Unfortunately, lists have a bad rap in the Bible as being boring. I mean, you go through like these genealogies of people and you're like, I'm just going to read through this as fast as I can. I can't pronounce half their names. I just want to move on to the good stuff. But I actually love lists like this because it reminds me that every single person listed here was an actual human being that walked on planet Earth. And they have a backstory just like we do. And every single person in this list is vastly different than the person next to them. I mean, these people were not all cookie-cutter stamped out of the same piece of dough. They were drastically different. And what I love about this is, you know, we read that Jesus, he spent all night up on a mountain praying, and he came down and he chose the 12 disciples. But I think one of the things that we overlook is that, yes, Jesus chose them, but they also had to choose Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the one who initiated the the invitation, but each one of these guys had to reciprocate a response to that invitation and say yes to Jesus. And I really think, not fully, but at least in part, I really think that the disciples understood that if I say yes to Jesus, I'm also saying yes to these men who are vastly different than me. And if you think about it, this goes back a little bit into what Scott was talking about last week, right? I mean, we have these guys who, you know, you got uh, Matthew, who is 
a tax collector. He's working with uh, the, the Romans. He would have been considered a traitor. And then you've got Simon, who is a zealot, who wants to destroy everything that has to do with Rome. You've got Peter, who just talks and never really shuts his mouth, right? You've got a bunch of fishermen that probably stink. And I have to imagine at some point, those guys are looking around saying, seriously, these people? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if they could have voted, they would have voted somebody out. Like, can we just trade him for somebody else? Like, seriously, Jesus, these people? I mean, diverse group of people committing to this man, Jesus. And it makes me think, we have to give up the idea of a perfect community. Jesus did not select these guys because they were all the same and they were all going to do exactly what he wanted to and they're all going to affirm him. He called a very diverse group of people together. And for us, one of the application points is that we have to stop chasing this perfect group of people. And here's the thing. I've been in this role where I help people connect to community groups for a while now. And I say this with a very soft, loving, tender heart, but I really think a lot of people are chasing a perfect community to surround themselves with. And I see this play out multiple times. And I'm going to tell you a story that um, I'm just going to tell it. You take it for, for, for what it is. But, you know, one of the roles is I help people get connected to community groups so that they can live life together in community. And I got a call from a guy a while back who said, Josh, I want to get connected to a group. That's great. Awesome. So I start asking the typical questions to get a feel for where he's at and what he's looking for. And he stops me about halfway through and he says, Josh, look, I've been doing groups for a long time. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And so he starts to lay out all of these parameters. And he said, I'm retired, so I want to be with other retired people. I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, same stage of life. I, I get that. Monday is the only night that I have available, so it needs to be on a Monday. I don't really like to drive, so it's got to be within 10 minutes of, of where I live. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> and then he goes, and Josh, here's the thing. I, I was really successful in my career, and I want to be with other successful people. And then he said, and here's the thing. And this is a true story. He said, I quote, I want to be with other people who are above the average tax bracket. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Like, how do you say something like that? My blood was boiling when I got off of the phone. I'm like, who says that, right? But here's what I'm still discovering about myself is that when something is said like that, that upsets me as much as it did. It's typically because it's striking a nerve really close to home, and it's poking at something that I struggle with. And so it was very easy to start judging this guy, but I, I took a step back, and I'm like, okay, maybe there's like a, a, a learning thing in this for me. And so I started praying about it, and I looked at the people that surround me and that speak into my life. And what I realized was that, yes, this man said these things, but I was actually living them. Because every single person around me looked exactly like me. Mid-30s, couple of kids, about average tax bracket. And I'm like, man, I am no different. I'm trying to surround myself with people that are just like me. And there's nothing wrong to have people that speak into your life that are like you. That, that's totally fine. But I had to, quote-unquote, diversify my portfolio a little bit and bring some diversity into my community because a 
Diverse community is a healthy community. I think Jesus knew that, bringing these guys together. And I think we would do well to learn from that and say, man, maybe, maybe I need to, like, you know, get some other people speaking into my life. And so now I try to make it a point to meet with people who are much older than me and even much younger than me. And here, here's what we see from scene one is that the thing that united these people together around this man Jesus was not their income or lack thereof. It was not their occupation. It was not their political views. All of those things were secondary. What united them was their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. And that is what should unite us as well, because we read later in the book of Acts that these men had the reputation of turning the world upside down, because they let everything else be secondary, and they focused on Jesus being the primary thing. And what would happen if we allowed that to be the thing that unites us? Not our political views, not the amount of money we make or the neighborhood that we live in, but Jesus. And so it leads me to ask this question, and these questions really serve as next steps for us today, and that is this. What would happen if you gave up chasing the perfect group of people? And I think that there are some people in this room who can honestly say, like, I gave that up a long time ago, and that's great. That's awesome. But before you say that, really take a step back and pray through this, and look at the people who are speaking into your lives and see if maybe even unintentionally you did kind of just surround yourself with that quote-unquote perfect group of people that just affirm you and tell you the things that you want to hear and don't quite challenge you. What would it look like for you to add in some diversity to those people? How might God use that to shape you and to mold you and to grow you in your relationship with other people and with Him? This is not a question that I can answer for you, This is something I want you to think about and pray about and ponder over the next week. And then if God reveals something to you, take that next step of faith and do what he's calling you to do. So that's scene number one. Scene number two, I'm naming or I'm titling, Let's Go To. We're going to be in the book of John for this one. So in John chapter 11, I'm going to give you guys some context for this because we don't have time to read through all of the verses here, but um, at this point in the story, this um, band of disciples is now formed, and they're following Jesus as he heals, and as he casts out demons, and as he teaches, and as he gets into scuffles with all of the religious elite of his day. And it comes to the point in the story where um, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're celebrating this, this festival that they would celebrate each year in Jerusalem, and the religious uh, leaders come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want you to tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I already told you, but you didn't believe me. And so they kind of go back and forth for a little while. And then finally, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus makes himself equal with God. And the scriptures say that the Jews picked up stones to kill him. It was a brutal way that they would kill people. They'd pick up fist-sized stones and literally throw them at somebody until they died. But Jesus, being God, was able to elude them, and the scriptures say he left Jerusalem and he went across the Jordan. And he was there for a little while, and while he was there, he got word that his friend Lazarus has died. And so Jesus tells his disciples, hey, we're going to go back to that region to be with Lazarus. And this is what the disciples say. In verse 8, they say, Rabbi, that just means teacher, the disciples told him. 
Just now, the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Time out, Jesus. Maybe you forgot. The area that you want to go back to, there are a bunch of people who want to kill you. Are you serious right now? And so they kind of go back and forth, and Jesus is like, no, you guys don't understand. Our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep. I'm going to go there to wake him up. And disciples aren't getting it. They're like, Jesus, don't you understand? When you go to bed, you wake up. Like, that's just what happens. You fall asleep, you wake up. And so Jesus is like, no, 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 hold on. He told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, here's our guy, called Twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. What a beautiful scene that so often gets overlooked because we know Thomas as the doubter, right? But here he is as the sole voice leading the charge with Jesus to go back into the region where people want to kill Jesus. Have you ever been that sole voice in a group of people who are saying one thing, but you know because of God's word or because of what he's revealed to you that you need to say something else? Isn't that a scary, awkward place to be? When everybody's saying one thing and you're like, oh, do I say something? I don't know. This is so weird. They're, are they going to think less of me? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to like excommunicate me? I don't know what to do. And here we see Thomas. He's like, no. If Jesus is in this, let's go too. Even if it means we're going to die. He's not going to let Jesus go at this alone. What an awesome friend to have. And so they start their journey. And here's the thing. This is where Jesus was. Here's the Jordan River. They were somewhere over here across the Jordan. They have to travel all the way to Bethany, right here where Lazarus was. It's just two miles east of Jerusalem. And so if the religious leaders knew that Jesus was on his way, they could have very, came, very easily came and ambushed Jesus and killed him. And I'm sure on this journey from the Jordan to Bethany, the disciples are thinking, man, we could die. Like this, this isn't a joke anymore. Like we could literally die following this man. And I'm sure that they were scared and thinking like, man, is this our last walk together? I don't know. I don't know what lies ahead. I don't know what lies around the corner, but they choose to follow him. But here's the beautiful thing. Instead of experiencing death, they experienced resurrection. Because when they got to Bethany, what they saw was Jesus perform a miracle, and they saw him raise a dead man to life. This is absolutely amazing. Now, I am convinced that if all of the disciples were like, Jesus, that's too scary, we don't want to go, and all of them decided to stay, I'm fairly convinced Jesus still would have went and raised Lazarus. And had that happened, they would have missed out on a miracle. And it makes me wonder, how many miracles do we miss because we give up too early? Because the journey from the Jordan to Bethany is just too long and too hard and too scary and too difficult. So we just kind of sit back and passively watch everything else play out. I mean, how many miracles do we miss out? You might be thinking, Josh, you don't understand. Like, my marriage is so far gone. And the work that it would take to get back to a place of even somewhat healing, like, it's just too much. It's easier for me to sign the papers. What miracles might you miss? along that journey. You might be thinking like, Josh, you don't understand, like, 
this person hurt me so bad. I don't even know if healing is an option at this point. It's just easier for me to hit that unfriend button and move on. Like, I don't want to put in the time. I don't want to put in the effort. What miracles might we be missing out on because we just simply give up too early? Because the journey is too hard and it's too long and we don't know what it's going to contain. So we just kind of sit back. Now, I want to push a pause here for a second because before we move on, I need to point out that there are some times when we need to, quote unquote, unfriend somebody. And when we need to insert um, space between people in a relationship because it's toxic, it's unhealthy, or there's some abuse going on. But honestly, that is a different sermon for a different day. We don't have time to dive into that. So I just want to point you to a resource that we have online. It's called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And it's a great book that can help you process through and think through, hey, is this a relationship that is toxic and that I need to end or change? And so if you find yourself in a situation like that, I'm not trying to say that everybody has to stay in hard relationships. Sometimes you do need to end them. So grab that book, help that, you know, hopefully God will use that to help you process through all of that. My point is that our default should not be to just sit back and passively watch it play out or hit the unfriend button or give up because it's too hard. And so that leads to this next question that I want to ask you. What would it look like if you begin to say, let's go to? If you practice the courage that Thomas practiced here and you said, look, I'm going to go with you. Somebody comes out and they say something hard, they're going through marital issues or relationship issues or whatever, instead of just being like, oh, I'll, pr- I'll pray for you, you know? It's like, no, I'm, let's go. I don't know what the journey is going to be like, but I'm in this with you. I'm not going to let you walk this alone. Again, I can't answer this for you. I just encourage you, pray about this over the next week. Ask yourself, what would it look like for you to say, maybe in a difficult relationship right now, hey, let's go. I'm in this with you. So that's scene two. Now we get into this final scene, the one I think most of us are familiar with. I'm naming this one Showing Up. And so this is going to be in John chapter 20. I'm going to give you some context really quick before we jump in. Um, At this point, Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried. He's been crucified. He was buried in the grave. He was resurrected. He reveals himself to Mary And then Mary goes and tells the other disciples, I've seen Jesus. And the disciples are in this upper room, the scriptures say, in locked doors because they're afraid of the Jews. And this is where the story picks up in John chapter 20, verse 24. Here's our guy again. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Again, he was not with them in the upper room when Jesus appeared. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Now we have to pause here for a minute because it's only a couple of lines on the screen here, but there is a lot happening. We got to ask the question, why wasn't Thomas there? Now, I just have a hunch. I could be wrong. Don't, you know, this, this isn't scripture what I'm about to say, but I have a hunch that Thomas wasn't there because he was extremely hurt and upset and probably a little bit bitter and angry, and maybe a little bit cynical too, because his expectations of who he thought Jesus was and what he thought Jesus was going to do were completely obliterated when he saw him hanging on a cross and then buried in a tomb. 
I mean, if I'm Thomas, I'm thinking like, please. I just saw this guy die. And if all the disciples want to continue to meet and carry on in this fairy tale, go ahead. But not me. I'm not going to this meeting. I'm done with this. That's what, again, I I think Thomas was probably thinking and why he wasn't there. But then we read, the other disciples were telling him. So we have Thomas who wasn't there, but then we have the disciples telling him. What does that tell us? That they had to say, hey, let's go find Thomas and tell him that we've seen the Lord. What awesome friends to have. God is gracious. His friends are gracious. And they say, let's go. Let's go tell Thomas that we've seen the Lord. And then in the next verse we read, but he. And this is why I think Thomas was so cynical and hurt. Because after they say, hey, we've seen the Lord, he doesn't jump up and be like, yeah, awesome, let's go. No, this is his response. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Those are some powerful words. I mean, he doesn't sugarcoat any of this stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people sitting here in this room right now or watching online who are thinking this very thing. Like, Josh, you don't understand. I had expectations, and I thought Jesus was going to show up in this way, and he didn't. And I'm hurt. And unless he shows up in some miraculous way, I will never believe. And if that's you, if you're thinking that, I want to say, welcome. We've got plenty of space for you. But here's the thing. I want to challenge you. Don't just think these things. Say these things. I think so often we hold back because we think God can't take what we're actually thinking, and so we just, you know, keep it here, and we don't actually say it. God knows what's going on up here, too. So I want to challenge you. Have the courage not just to think these things, but to say these things and to say them to somebody else, just like Thomas did. And if you are on the receiving end of those words and somebody says that to you, you already have your response. You say, let's go. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm sure that was extremely hard, but I'm in this with you. Let's go. I don't know what the journey is going to look like, but let's go. So I want to challenge you, if that's you, say these things. And if you're on the receiving end, receive those things with grace and say, let's go. And that's really what I think that the disciples did, because look at the next verse. It says, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Scenery changes a little bit. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came. There's the miracle. And stood among them and said, peace be with you. A week later... And all of a sudden, Thomas is there in the upper room. Again, I don't know exactly what happened during those days, but what I think happened was that the disciples loved Thomas enough to keep showing up in his life and saying, Thomas, you got to come back to the meeting, man. We saw Jesus. Like, Thomas, I know this sounds crazy, but he is alive. Thomas, don't you remember? You were the one, when we were back across the Jordan, who rallied us together and said, let's go back to Bethany, even if it means we die. And Thomas, don't you remember what we saw? We saw a dead guy, Lazarus, raised from the grave. And now it's not Lazarus who's alive, it's Jesus. Thomas, you've got to come back, man. 
That's what I envision the disciples being like. And then all of a sudden, boom, Thomas is back with them. Here we see the community go full circle, helping and being helped. Sometimes we help other people, and a lot of times they help us. And that's what we see kind of play out in this. And I love what Tyler Staten says about this, because I think the disciples love Thomas enough not just to affirm his feelings, but to challenge him. And so this is what Tyler Staten says. He says, A community that affirms you without challenging you will make you feel comfortable, but it will never move you or heal you. And I think if we're brutally honest, a lot of us are just looking for a community that affirms us. We just want to kind of end it there. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the things that are easy. Tell me the things that will make me comfortable. Because the moment somebody starts challenging you, you're like, oh, man, I don't know. It's either time for me to go back to the couch and just watch other relationships play out from a distance. It's time for me to hit that unfriend button. Or maybe it's time for you to to lean in and say, man, maybe God's trying to grow me here and, 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 and change me. I think that's what the disciples did in this moment. And we see Thomas show back up again. And what does he experience? Jesus. And Jesus meets him with grace and he says, Thomas, do you want to touch it? Go ahead, man. That'd be disgusting. I mean, I don't don't know if I could do that, but, you know, he meets Thomas where he's at. What an amazing thing. And, and, And... And here's something to to think about. I really think that it took more courage for Thomas to show back up in that upper room than it did for him to lead the charge and go from the Jordan back to Bethany. Because here's the thing, and we all know this, it takes so much courage to show up to a community of people when they are saying the very opposite of what you may be experiencing. Because again, our natural tendency is to flow to the people that tell us the things that we want to hear not the things that challenge us. And so it took a lot of courage for Thomas to show back up in that upper room. And it might take a lot of courage for you to show up to a group of people who are telling you something opposite of what you might be experiencing. So this is an opportunity to lean into that and say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? And that leads us to the last question that I want to ask you. What would it look like for you to show up? In that difficult relationship, it might be in your marriage, it might be with a wayward child, it might be with a neighbor or a coworker. I don't know, but what would it look like for you to show up? What would it look like for you to commit to a group of people so that you can show up? Right now, we have 12 open groups on our webpage that you can go to and, and say, hey, I'm going to commit to these people and I'm going to commit to show up. So you can go out in the connection at the connection table out there and sign up, you can do it online, but what would it look like for you to show up? And when you show up, you might go in the room and be like, seriously, these people? And you'd be like, oh, Josh talked about this at the sermon. Oh, man, right? But what would it look like for you to show up, to lean into the difficulty? I don't know. I can't answer this for you, but pray about that. Think about that. And as we wrap up this series find your people, I want to just encourage you to lean into the discomfort. And in case you haven't picked up already, 
this is probably going to be one of the hardest things you do in life. It's kind of like parenting, right? Like, no, like people tell you like, oh yeah, it's hard. They, it, until you actually do it, you never realize how hard it is. And this, this, is, this is something that we do throughout our life until the day that we die. Because people come and they go. And so I just want to encourage you, lean into that. Continue to build those, those people around you that speak into your life. So they can help shape you and mold you to be more like Jesus. And when things get hard, not if, but when things get hard, before you just take a step back and passively watch it play out, or before you hit that defriend button, really ask yourself, is God using this to grow me? Because things are going to be hard. You will get hurt. You will experience disappointment. But when we can accept those things and say, hey, yeah, you know, I I get that's going to happen because we live in a broken world and we're dealing with broken people. When we can accept those things and lean in, God does amazing things. And you never know, along the journey, you might just experience a miracle or two like Thomas did. Let's pray. Father, oh, you are so good to us and so kind. And Lord, uh, so grateful that you meet us in our brokenness and in our hurt, just like you did Thomas. And Lord, you use broken people like us, just like you did Thomas. And what a privilege it is to be known by you and to be loved by you. Lord, thank you for designing life to be lived out within community with other people. And uh, Lord, forgive us of the times that we've hurt other people. And we pray that we would be quick to forgive those who have hurt us. And uh, Lord, that as we continue on this journey that we call life, that we would continue to trust in you that we would make you the central figure in our lives and that we would make you, Jesus, the thing that unifies us, especially as believers, and that others would see that and long for that. Lord, that we would let everything else be secondary and we'd focus our hearts and our minds on you. So Jesus, as we leave this place, would you empower us to continue to love those people around us? And Father, we just thank you for first loving us again, for being so near to us and so kind to us. So God, we just offer you our lives and we ask that you would use us to continue to carry on the mission of making disciples. Father, we love you and we pray this all in your name.